Welcome, Secret Movie Clubbers. I'm recording this standing up because Connor reminded me that we needed an intro and an outro, and I wanted to... Who knows? I gotta look inside myself on this one. I, I always love to be a part of these podcasts. I wish I could tell you what's going on and why I'm so harried, but God willing, I'll be able to tell you that in a few weeks. However, suffice it to say, uh, we are involved in a secret project that is heading into its final week and a half, even beyond the renovation. And uh, this is the first time mention has been made of it. So uh, those of you listening to this week's podcast will know vaguely about something here first, but we got to get through it. So no more on that. Thank you so much for uh, being a part of uh, the podcast this week. Uh, You are about to hear Connor and Daniel in a Defend This Movie about last year's widely regarded, highly lauded Drive My Car. We were joking. Uh, I have not heard it uh, because I've been involved in the secret project, so I will be hearing it with you. It would be hard for me to believe that you're about to hear a cage match of unbridled rage between two people trolling each other about a movie as sort of introspective and thoughtful and philosophical as Drive My Car, but we're all going to find out. As always, please, uh, you can find out about everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Email us at community at secretmovieclub.com. We are just about nine days away from starting back up again after uh, two months uh, doing all this secret stuff. So next Saturday, the 24th, we are going to be doing Lost Highway on 35mm with editor Mary Sweeney, who edited Twin Peaks. Uh, Mulholland Drive, The Straight Story, uh, Lost Highway. She is kindly coming in for a Q&A, and she, Lost Highway is her favorite of the work that she did with David Lynch. So she picked that, come just see a great movie on 35, and then uh, ask uh, Miss Sweeney your questions about editing, about making movies. She has made uh, some of the most important uh, and greatest works uh, of the last 20 or 30 years. So we are extremely excited about that. And then starting in October, we have our October to December season up, so you can check that all out. But enough of all of that. I did want, I can't let this week pass without uh, just giving recognition to filmmaker Jean-Luc Godard, uh, one of the greatest, most important filmmakers in all of world cinema, who passed away uh, this week at 91, I believe, um, he in Switzerland. Mr. Godard, as you all know, I'm not going to, you know, you you know and you don't need me to tell you, um, was part of the French New Wave in the 60s. I just want to tell an anecdote, which is that uh, when I was 17 or 18 and going into USC film school, I remember talking to someone in the administration and and who knows what my psychology was but I made some kind of dismissive remark about the French new wave and assuming I guess that maybe it was pretentious or I don't know some dumb American thing you know without seeing it and then when I saw Godard's work largely in part uh, to my friend Andrew Groves who was on an episode of this when we talked about Fassbender I have Andrew to thank for Fassbender and Godard when I finally started to really dive into Beyond Breathless which everybody sees in film school but a woman is a woman, my life to live, Le Carabinier, Le Petit Soldat, Band of Outsiders, Alphaville, Masculine Feminine, which is my personal favorite. And even the ones that, you know, two or three things I know about her, La Chinois, Weekend. It's too long to get into right now. I didn't go with him. <laughs> I have I have my thoughts about where he went politically, not huge into some of the, the work of the 80s. And, but Towards the end, he came back to a very introspective, powerful, emotional, introspective work. And so things like uh, Elegy to Amour, uh, to Love, and uh, his last few films were incredible and were, uh, yet again, something new. What I just want to say here today is that Godard is as great 
as his reputation, probably greater. Um, and very few people uh, in cinema did what he did, had a genius, were willing to experiment. What he did with editing, uh, what he did with experimenting with style, what he did with uh, being able to tell a story in a different way from the way that movies have been told for 50 or 60 years, inspired a, a whole generation of filmmakers, most notably Fassbender and Scorsese and, and many, many others. I mean, Quentin Tarantino named his production company after uh, Band Apart and continues to inspire and inspired me tremendously. And you know, Godard allowed someone like me to be like, well, well, why can't I do it this way? Why can't I edit these same takes and do them over and over again or create repeated motion or put in a slug of black? And the liberation to do that kind of incredible stuff is so important. So um, I just want to say, although I think he was an atheist, so he probably would not, this would mean nothing to him, but God bless Jean-Luc Godard. Um, and I hope you'll watch his movies. And uh, yeah, let's get to it. Here we go. Defend this movie. Drive my car. <laughs> the perfect start. The perfect start. Uh, hello, this is Connor Lloyd Cruz, the People's Champion, and I'm here with Daniel Ott. That I don't. Have, I still, all these years later, don't have a title. Uh, the gentleman from Oklahoma. Yes. Functional. We're gabbing today about. Drive my car. Do you want to do you want to set up the film for us, Daniel? Because you like it. Drive my car is from 2021. Uh, it is written and directed by I believe it's pronounced Raisuke Hamaguchi. Uh, it is an adaptation of a Harakai Murakami short story that pulls from two other short stories from a collection called Men Without Women, and it basically follows an actor slash director whose wife passes away and he sort of spends the next few years coping with that loss while also agreeing to uh, a direct an adaptation of the play he was starring in when she passed during this through a series of circumstances he is not allowed to drive his own vehicle while he's directing this play so he has a chauffeur appointed to him and they form a bond that's what i wrote as my story synopsis functional functional it's my word of the day yeah and i was gonna say that i think i think everybody at secret movie club is pretty like cool about individual tastes i think in terms of the podcast like for me and you might be the most in terms of like like i don't really believe in objective reality anymore that's kind of where i'm at these days i guess i want to make sure that there's an understanding that when i'm saying bad but I think this movie's bad that I also understand that there is no objectivity in art. It's just the base thing of like the conversations around objective good and bad are the most fun when they're not tied to like some personal vendetta as if. Well, this is for me. But you know, some people, some people are like, oh, you like this thing. Like you are flawed as a human because of that. Yeah. Versus. Mm -hmm. I love a conversation. I don't actually think that. I'm just, to the degree that I invoke that, I'm I'm being a, a little f***er about it. I'm not actually being real. We're looking for like that centrist middle ground of, I, I hate or love this thing, but I don't hate you for loving it. Or hate you. Uh, all right. Opening statements. Why don't you go, Mr. Ott? This was a surprise for me. I had never seen anything that Hamaguchi had directed previously. This opened in L.A. and got sort of on the subset of film stuff that I follow is getting a lot of lovely words spoken about it. 
And they did that great thing where it was like playing for one week only. And then I made a rush to go see it. And then, of course, it expanded for weeks, which is fine. Great. More people can see it. I'm a big fan, though. Sorry to interrupt. Would it have been more on your radar because of the author? Uh, Potentially the author. Really, what put this on my radar was people talking about it as this thing that sort of hit with low fanfare initially outside of the festival circuit uh, of its opening. It was a pretty limited release and then sort of had a lot of staying power to a degree. And we'll get into that, I'm sure, which is an interesting thing because it's a doozy of a movie at three hours. In terms of the subject matter, I've got no issue with length most of the time, but it's interesting going into this knowing that it's sort of this very introspective art film clocking it at three hours seems like a knock against it, I think, from the get-go. I saw it alone, which is sort of the best way to do this. When I think of like the experience of movies, and especially the experience of movies, this was last year, so sort of still in the weird times of pandemic, I was really enjoying movies by myself, and... There's like escapism stuff that I cling to often as it's this great community experience. And then there's stuff like Drive My Car, which is less escaping and more embracing feelings you're not trying to contend with. So it was kind of a special initial screening for me. And it was a weird one because it was one that I spoke highly about. But it's also like, I don't know how I'd recommend this to people because it's a very particular type of thing. And if you're not vibing in that first 10 minutes, I imagine this is a very long 179 minutes um all right my opening statement drive my car d-r-i-v-e-m-y-c-a-r 10 little letters that spell out why i don't like this movie very much d it's too dang long r really there's this little plot considering how long it is i i don't usually like these sort of movies anyways v and i very much doubt most people do E, every time I watch a movie like this, I feel like I'm being gaslit. M, my mind goes the idea that people like this stuff because it seems difficult, like they're trying to prove something. Y, you suck. (laughs) C, come on, the most interesting stuff here is told to us. A, you're going to make a movie called Drive My Car and not use the Beatles song in it? R, in conclusion, I think this movie is really bad. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't put in enough homework, clearly. <laughs> the gentleman from Oklahoma will agree that we both dislike movies that are overlong and boring. So why does he feel it is appropriate to defend a movie that's both? <laughs> that's, you know, that's a tough question, because I do think we typically agree on like the oddity of movie timing. We're like a tight 90 is a beautiful thing and I'll forgive so much if you can pull it off in that 90 minutes. But like two hours and 10 minutes is a frustrating time. I'm like, you could have cut stuff or just go all the way and make it three hours. I don't really know why my brain works that way. But for some reason, 90 minutes, incredible. Three hours, incredible. 210, 220, I'm like, what are we doing? Makes no sense. I think we're actually a little different there because I think for me, the longer the movie, the more it has to, it is always a harder uphill. Like the long movies that I like are exceptions. You know what I mean? Like that's one of the reasons why I know I like this new Batman movie so much. The fact that I liked it as much as I did and it's three hours long. I'm not as into the current television world in terms of keeping up with stuff. Uh, And a lot of times it is because of length. Less when it's like week to week and I can sort of take things in one at a time. But when it's sort of dumped as a single thing, the conversation around it lasts for a weekend and then it sort of fades. And I really like the conversation part. So I find it difficult to keep up. I'm the same way too. Which is nice because I think now there's a a move maybe that's hinting that we're going to get more stuff 
in that realm. But sometimes, I don't know, there's something like this because Drive My Car doesn't exist as like this thing. It's a drama. There's not necessarily like this fantastical world building that you're having to sort of understand. All of the world building is a character. And I think the connection to the character, because it's about art and like artists, and I sometimes think how it's going to relate to people. It's like a very specific interest set. Like it aligns with your passions, which can be whatever. But artists like love to make movies and art about art. And that feels like a weird block. And it's specifically an artist who's like doing adaptations of Chekhov and waiting for Godot and stuff. It's a very... Um, yeah, you put this on paper and it sounds... Um, insufferable. <laughs> I, I can I see, yeah. What does Rachel think of this movie? Rachel's never seen it. Mm. I think there's a time and a place where this would function well. But it's a hard ask. Did she hear three hours and I was like, hmm. No, she's not negative. Ah, maybe, I don't know. Maybe she was like, no. But it's, it's the plot where I was like, oh, it's about this and this and this and this. And she's like, well, we'll find, you know, it's sort of there will be a time when that's going to sound great because it it's, uh, requires a sort of connection to your TV screen. And I don't know about you, but the pandemic stripped that I have a lot of trouble concentrating on things. And so a three hour movie ask, especially at home. Is like a thing. It's hard. Oh, yeah. No, I saw this in a theater earlier this year. I did not rewatch it for this because of that. Uh, (laughs) Because even you, you know, we had been I watched this in like January, February, March. I watched it like one of those early months of the year when it got a re-release because of its Oscar nomination. And I was catching up on all the Best Picture nominations, which is uh, for me. I don't know why I do it. It feels like self-flagellation at this point when I make myself do that because it's almost always like all of the Oscar nominations that I haven't seen always end up being like my least favorite movies of the year but uh, I watched this earlier in the year and I don't know if I would have been able to hang with it I mean I would have paused it a lot more if I was at home and like walked away (laughs) from it and taken my time with it in the theater as it was I like made it a game with myself was like, how long can I go without checking my phone? (laughs) And I think I made it like halfway through and I checked it and I was like, okay, 90 minutes. We're halfway done. (laughs) I could just watch what I just watched again and be over. But then like, as it went on, I kept checking it more and more and more. And I was like, hopefully being like sly about it. I really hope I didn't bother anybody. I kind of wish movie theaters had a um, low light level clock or timer by the projector that you could turn around and see. There's a theater in Oklahoma that I really like, and they have these like glow in the dark, super subtle clocks over the exit doors. And I I don't like it because I'll sometimes peek over by accident, just scanning the room. And it puts me, I'm like, oh, okay, we're we're at act two. And it kind of freaks me out. See, I, I want that. I like that. I get very anxious about time. I had, uh, I know you have jury duty coming up, which sucks. (laughs) Sucks ass. I ended up getting it and I'm pretty sure I'm going to get like psychiatrists to get me out of it in the future because I ended up being so nervous about it. I scratched a hole into my leg. Oh, fun. It's still, I still got a mark on my leg actually. And it's like a couple months ago. Time right now is such a weird, that's the most like adult BS to say, but time is a commodity. But like committing three hours to something is a thing. A decision of of how you're going to intake a piece of art when you have limited time, it does feel like a thing. I woke up at 7 a.m. today to rewatch this. Like I could not find the time to make it happen. That's kind of a point I was going to make because I kept telling you you shouldn't rewatch it because I'm not going to rewatch it. (laughs) (laughs) And I proposed this like right after I think I saw the movie, I feel like. Yeah, I think this was Convo early in the year. And then we knew we were definitely doing it since basically all of the podcast episodes since 
late May, early June have all been recorded in June, except this one. This kind of feels like the first podcast back, but just me and you. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to go back to recording. For context, the previous podcast recording was like maybe late June. And right now this is September 8th, the week before this comes out. The Queen just died. Oh, yeah. Moments ago. Who gives a shit? <laughs> I'm cursing in this too much. I gotta pick up slack for Edwin. I'll probably cut that. <laughs> but yeah, but you you even had trouble. And I mean, one, you're you're a lot busier than I am. You and Craig are immensely busier than me and Edwin. But even still, this being your one of your favorite movies from last year, your second favorite, I believe. And you saw, what, like 100 movies last year? Something in that realm for 2021 releases. And even you had a hard time figuring out a time to rewatch it. I know people, have, you have to accommodate your schedules and take things in the way you want to take them. I personally struggle with, I can't do something halfway. I know people can start a movie and come back. I can't function that way. So I really have to lock out. I don't like to be on my phone. I like to lock out everything so that I can focus out of some egotistical concept of like, well, if I made a movie, I'd want people to watch it this way. I agree with you when I'm watching a movie for pleasure. But when I'm sometimes when I'm watching stuff for the podcast, it's like, hey, I'll just knock this out in 20 minute chunks. You know, I'm learning. I finally ventured into testing some ADHD medication, which I fought against my entire life. Nice. I just got my Prozac up. It's... So actively nuts like the difference it makes in terms of focus for me but i've been trying because a lot of people are like my wife's really skilled at doing work on the couch and watching shows but ingesting it like having a mental recollection of what she just watched which was bizarre to me and i've started to sort of understand that now to be fair the movies i've tested that against are not really fair it was the gray man and uncharted We'll test it on some denser products. To be fair, I do like to pay attention to this stuff. So when I watch a movie in chunks, I'm usually not doing anything or, or like I'll like eat or something. Eating's fine, I think. Sometimes when it's like something totally mindless, I'm cool with it, you know. The only stuff that I watch while I do other stuff is stuff I've seen before. Or alternatively, I do have a thing on Letterboxd. I mark movies as half watch. I have a little tag on it that indicates that I kind of wasn't paying attention. So, like, we watched Dragnet earlier this year. With Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks one, yeah. I kind of spack half that movie. I kind of zoned out, didn't pay attention to anything that was going on, and worked on some stuff because it's a little boring. Fair enough. First half's pretty good. I like all the cult stuff. You've seen that for your pod, right? Yeah, I have. The dance is what you remember, though. To, to shift things toward movie conversation, I guess. DMC, Devil May Cry? Yeah, for DMC. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny to see that as a child of the 2000s, I did associate DMC and stuff my cry. I'm very obsessed with like intimate portrayals of especially grief, which is a bizarre thing. Maybe not bizarre. It's a very freeing thing for me. It feels connected to emotions I think I repress. And so Drive My Car really focuses on sort of what we internalize and what we experience in regrets and in grief, which are sort of tied together, I have always thought. And sort of following the loss of a loved one, like a bereavement period, as one thing ends and one person continues that I found really engaging. But it also seems to have a similar focus on that with the concept of art and sort of, I saw a thing that says that it's basically that art itself is a vehicle that the movie uses as a literal thing, but also a figurative thing and sort of 
the way we both ingest art. I, I think a lot about when he's in the car, use case in the car, listening to his lines back. And he had made this plan in the film that he booked a hotel up an hour away from where he's directing his theatrical performance. That way he can listen to lines in the car. It's the way he's done it. And his wife who had passed recorded the lines. But now that he has the chauffeur, she's hearing it with him. And so now it's he gets self-conscious of the way he's ingesting this art. And these little details like that, I think are sprinkles that are fascinating. You're getting at the little things I do like about the movie. I do like that situation. You described it earlier as an art film, and I think that's a good like descriptor of it in a lot of ways, because I think that compared to a traditional narrative film, there's a lot of telling and not showing in this movie. There's a lot of people telling stories, and I get that that's like a purposeful thing. But for me, and I imagine for a lot of people, I think that's kind of unfulfilling, you know? It'd be a little bit like if 3,000 Years of Longing didn't have the, like, cutaways, as if it was all just... Just the storytelling? <laughs> ...in that hotel room, which would be interesting, but it kind of goes against, I think, what most people, and certainly what I think of as, like, a movie. It's a different ask, because I think there is that thing of, like, I could, you know, be like, oh, you didn't, you're just not understanding, you like this thing, and you're just not getting how this thing works. But... A film has to function, even if it's you know different from person to person, it still has to to connect with you. And if it doesn't, then it's failed in that regard. And that's no amount of conversation is going to talk you out of that. I think that's important to hit on because it's an ask and a requirement for that connection, whether it is strictly the entertainment value or if it's an emotional thing. If it doesn't do that, then it sort of halts the conversation because you can still, I mean, you finish the film and whatever it didn't connect with you on didn't work for you. And I think that's important to note because it's like art stuff, I think it's lumped in as like this pretentious thing people like to throw. It's like, well, I love these things. These are high art. But an art film needs to do the same thing for you that the big blockbuster is going to do. Quote unquote, low art. I don't like those comparisons. It's so silly to me. Like Top Gun Maverick hits me in a different way than this, but they both light up specific things that I search for in cinema in different ways. One makes me horny to fly. One makes me horny for sad. Is that fair? I think I would have been a little more subdued if we had done this earlier in the year. I think I've realized some like revelations about my personal self and my self image lately. One of those is that, you know, as a, and I still have issues with esteem and as a child, I didn't really have a lot of esteem and a lot of my worth that I put into myself was put into my intelligence as an artistic person that kind of manifested as taste. And, you know, and I'm living in like a small town and I probably was a jerk, <laughs> to be honest, when I was in high school, <laughs> but I think probably everybody was. Absolutely. You know, I had weird tastes for like a semi-big town suburb of Houston, but I get to film school and college in Austin. And then especially when I get to grad school out here, um, and then when I get into these groups like Secret Movie Club, more and more and more, it's like the big fish little pond thing. But in terms of like obscure taste versus quote unquote, like low taste, <laughs> I understand why like people in a cinephile world will degrade big pop stuff that's going on. But it also like for somebody like me, who's kind of a, uh, I don't know, I I'm a day walker, I guess. <laughs> but even even like defining myself as that, because I feel like everybody does. And so... I think so much of like why movies like this annoy me as much as they do is there's part of me that I have like a resentment 
almost, which is really very real. And like me just being very honest, there's like a thing where sometimes I feel like with movies like this, like you take a movie like Drive My Car, which was my least favorite movie of last year and your second favorite versus a movie, for instance, like Halloween Kills, which you I'm guessing is pretty close to the bottom of your list from last year. I was not a fan and is pretty close to my top. It's definitely not quite as polarized if i had to guess i'm guessing it's not quite at the bottom on your end but um sometimes the vibe feels like in these circles with drive my car it's that i don't like that kind of film and it's good and with halloween kills it's that i do like that kind of film and it's bad you know what i mean kind of like the tales i win heads you lose sort of thing and i'm i'm sort of putting you on the spot and i don't really expect a cathartic response no because i i I feel the same way there's this like expectation especially as like the year end list comes of both the desire to see the great things uh which as you mentioned is sometimes punishing (laughs) but then the desire that when you post them as if people are going to look at them and define us by our taste versus how we should just define ourselves by our taste that what you list needs to be this eclectic mix rather than it being honest it has to showcase that you know i pulled up my list and in the same space as Drive My Car is Titan, it's Dune, it's The Matrix Revelations, or Resurrections. Well, to be fair, I also, I didn't like Titan that much either. I thought Titan was also kind of pretentious, so. <laughs> but, or like the sui- like, uh, Suicide Squad, Malignant. You're, you're right about those other ones, though. It is really odd. I, Drive My Car, it does present a real thing, which is that there's like this desire to be loved for our taste, but we often, I think self-consciously then have to define our taste by what is not just critically acclaimed, but respected. And I put that in air quotes. I think it it can ruin experiences like this because on one end, the movie may not work for you, but going into the movie under the expectation of like, this is considered one of the best. This is considered high art sort of puts a, almost a weight on you to be like, you're supposed to like this. And that is not how things can be experienced. That sucks. But that's how it exists. That's how it functions. I feel the same way through a lot of stuff. It's often why I try to see stuff really fast is so I can try to have an idea of how I feel ahead of the influx of things I'm going to see and read. But that's not always possible either. Yeah, that's the thing with me is like I almost like I like seeing movies with people, but I almost don't want to talk about the movie afterwards. Most of the time I want to go and talk about anything else. I almost always want to think from like the highest art to the lowest whatever. Like I, I always I want to always want to give it a ponder because sometimes you go to sleep and you wake up and you're just remembering the parts of the movies that you movie that you liked and you're actually like, "Oh, I did li-, or like vice versa. You're remembering uh I struggle with that. I love seeing stuff alone for that because sometimes I'm like I need a week. It can kind of harsh the vibe. We saw 3000 Years of Longing, which I really enjoyed and the general consensus, which was not shared by all everyone, was relatively negative. And it sucks to kind of ride a high and come out and then just hear a lot of, and it's not anyone's fault. Like they felt that way. They're expressing this stuff. That's great. But when you're sort of trying to like figure out how it lives with you, it's it's a real bummer sometimes. Sometimes this kind of stuff makes me, I know that I shouldn't, I shouldn't be the one instigating and aggressing things and escalating things. But part of it's like for my own mental health, 
as like a pre-barrier, maybe I just need to get ahead of the curve and just after the movie, every time be like, like when I when I like kind of like movies, like hell yeah, yeah. I'm just like getting <laughs> getting people on board. Start the positive vibe right away, or vice versa. If I don't like a movie, just get on the negative so we can all be trashing on it. But I don't want to do that. I hate that. <laughs> this this sounds like a funny tie back in, but I, I wrote Letterbox has become my little film journal, but I also write about stuff that I'm intaking. And I wrote a lot about how I saw Drive My Car late 2021 and a close friend of mine passed at the end of December 2021. And so to a degree, to be frank with you, I haven't told you this, I avoided watching this for a while because I was nervous to revisit something that is about grief. I was not uh, ready for that. So I got up this morning, I took a walk and blah, blah, blah. I'm saying that to say that I, I wrote a lot about how like, this is about grief, but it's also about longing for connection and the way trauma can alienate and bring people together. And I feel like in the way that applies to people as humans with other humans, it also applies in the way that art functions for us and in the communities that we're in, because we want, as we were talking about, that connection to cinema is important to us in the way that people view us and our taste is important to us, whether we want it to be or not. And so we have these close friend groups built around our love of things and we kind of know we're like RRR is coming back to theaters and we're like, that's a thing for all of us to go to together. That's going to be a great time. My favorite scenes and the things, and it's, it's sort of like you were saying earlier, the things that work to you are less the cohesive thing, but these little moments that just feel, have a connective tissue. I think the dinner with, I think it's like an editor and his wife who signs the backseat story he shares when he's with the actor and the sunroof thing are just like burned into my brain. And I think stuff like that is my favorite thing that happens in movies because you can forget about the plot or what was happening. But when an image sticks with you and kind of invokes a thing, I got multiple of that from this, which I think is a very cool testament to the types of things that this is doing for me. I don't know how that loops back into my initial talking point, but I don't really have like a response to that because my issues with the film lie outside of its ambitions are like themes and more in its execution and concept Uh, to be clear i wasn't sharing my sad story to make it a well i experienced this but in sort of the way like that reconnected me to it also sorry for your loss oh thank you so much (laughs) i don't know how to to yeah that's Um, a that's a mean thing to bring up on a podcast oh you didn't like it well here's why i like well i was bringing up my like depression and self-worth stuff so i think it's fair it connects in the way that we're what we are longing for when we go into these types of things i do think if i because i do actually believe in people a lot i have a pretty negative view of like systems in place but individual people i feel like are probably should be good i would hope so at least i have a hope in my heart that they are but movies like this do sometimes and this is more of like bringing it back to a joke it does make me feel like i'm being gaslit (laughs) 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 that people are liking these movies as like a prank on me using letterbox has become a big like touchstone in terms of like how i view movie stuff these days which is maybe bad maybe i need to get rid of it to be honest or like stop looking at stuff but i i was like reading some of these top rated reviews and (laughs) there's just stuff like this and i'm gonna read this neutrally i guess because there's like part of me that wants to read this like in a funny voice but i'll just read it neutrally (laughs) about 20 minutes before the film ends there is a momentary collapse of all sounds 
I don't think I've ever heard silence quite like it. I could hear my heart throbbing in my ears, a painful sting coupled with a quiet panic as my senses became temporarily heightened and numbed all at once. A brief glimpse into passing? Eh. As of someone, if you're considering going into it, how do you contend with that as an idea? Like, that's such a personal reaction to it, but if that weighs on you trying to watch this, like you're like, oh, if I don't have this reaction, did I... Did I fail? I wonder at what point do I not need to watch any more Bergman films before I'm like, I get it. <laughs> the thing that frustrates me, I think, is when people talk stuff, but they put in zero effort to give it a try. But if you've given it a try and you're like, this isn't functioning for me, then you did you did the work. You go find the stuff that you love. I totally agree. And I think most people actually agree. But I think that there's a lot of like implications in terms of how people talk about stuff sometimes. But I, I'm sort of at the point where I remember Craig brought this up in terms of Scorsese where he said uh, a lot of times he'll start a movie and just stop it and just stop watching it because he's like, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> I've already seen something like this and I don't want to waste my time. And I'm like getting to that point where like it does become harder and harder to like justify for me watching stuff like this, even like once to have like an opinion on it because generally speaking, I can kind of feel the vibe. The thing that sucks is every once in a while, I feel like there's stuff like this that I like, though I've gotten a pretty keen eye towards like figuring out what's like the weird art stuff that doesn't seem like I would like that I would like, like Spencer last year. I was like pretty quickly like, eh, that looks like something I'm going to like. And I did like it. I think because it's a little more um, acidic, I guess. What I would imagine friends talking about things positively versus condemning you for not seeing it. Sometimes you might catch a like, oh, that actually sounds kind of dope. I read an article years ago that I was very taken by and maybe more so now about the idea of like books. I struggle with like, if I'm a big reader and if I start a book, I have an inclination to finish it. Even if a hundred pages in, I am struggling to find a connection. And this article was like, you will never see, read, hear, experience everything you want to do in life. They basically like, imagine if you had a watch list and it could be attained and there was a point in your life where you had seen everything you wanted to see. Like that feels kind of weird. Like some people might like that as like a thing, but as you try to catch up more, expands your world expands. And so the idea of stopping because there's something else that's going to fill in that instead is I think a valuable thing. Now, am I good at that? Maybe not, but I think it's a very valid thing. This is half a joke, but that's sort of why I've never seen Sam Raimi's For the Love of the Game. <laughs> also, I don't care about baseball. That's the bigger reason, but I can justify it as like I'm saving it towards the end. Like, I, did you watch Lost? Uh, through I think the fourth season. Do you remember how Desmond? Random thing to think about, but I always thought about it like this. Desmond had like one Charles Dickens book that he wouldn't read. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Because he was like, I want to save it till I'm like on my deathbed or whatever. Here's a gotcha question I didn't get to implement in this, which okay. is, if you don't believe in objectivity. Why you give ratings on Letterbox? <laughs> I try to define my Letterbox ratings as my personal taste. But you also do the like, not like thing. I kind of get what you're doing there, but it also does seem a little strange to me. Like I just saw the new Dragon Ball movie, Dragon Ball Super Superhero, real title. I haven't paid attention to anything in that realm, a Dragon Ball wise, since I was a kid. But I was like, oh, I need to blow some time. I'm at the theater. I'll just see it. If without my nostalgia, glasses is probably not good. I don't know. I, I can't tell if this would function as a non-fan, but I like I had a really good time. So I liked it, but I also thought it was, you know, only OK. And I, I don't know how else to put it. I kind of like the idea. and Maybe I should just go to it of going, you rate it for the log. I can write about it and then hard it if I loved it. I basically have three ratings on Letterboxd, which is 
I don't like it. I don't do anything. I don't heart it or rate it or anything. I liked it, which is most movies I see, because most movies are somewhere between like, eh, and yeah, <laughs> for me. And that just gets a heart. And then like movies that are like my favorite or movies that as a joke, as a goof, I'll sometimes, like The Great Bikini Off-Road Adventure, for instance, is not one of my favorite movies of all time, but I did rate it five stars on Letterboxd. Though that's a movie I would recommend. That movie's 90 minutes long and has just as little plot as uh, Drive My Car, but instead of introspection and grief, it's a lot of women showing their naked breasts to men while giving Jeep tours. <laughs> I want Edwin's sensibility. I'm looking at Edwin's letterbox, and Edwin's letterbox is overwhelmingly four stars and five stars. And I love that. I love the way that the man loves. Doesn't make a lick of sense for me, but I love it. But that's kind of where that's kind of where I'm at. Like I have such a naturally negative inclination. Movies are important for me, but at the same time, they're not actually important. They're important in a way that's like very individual, but not actually like systemically, I guess. Like a movie being good isn't going to like, with few exceptions, like that Errol Morris documentary, The Thin Blue Line. Rarely do movies directly save people's lives. It's more like the influence on stuff. And so I, I just like try to take positives from stuff usually if I can. My last point on here is that it's funny, like reading the synopsis on Wikipedia, which is what I did to catch up, they really don't say anything about like the middle hour of the movie. I think you would have to agree. There's a long stretch in this movie where after he gets there and before like the actual drama with that dude starts, I feel like there is like a pretty long section and a lot of scenes like they go to a factory or something at some point, don't they? Or some stupid stuff like that's not even here on here. I don't even think they describe <laughs> this plot synopsis is really bad. It like focuses so much and it's so straightforward about like it just describes the relationships at the top and then kind of says what happens in it. It's really weird. Also, this dude made apparently this guy made a uh, a movie called Happy Hour that makes me mad just thinking about <laughs> it because it's f five hours and 17 minutes. And it's I think it's like this. And there's not an intermission, apparently, which makes me even more mad. <laughs> if there was an intermission, I'd be like, OK, it's stupid that the movie's this long, but I respect you. But this is just like malicious. Like, can you imagine asking somebody to sit down for a five hour and 15 minute long movie? I'd feel like an insane person. It's, uh, it's functional. <laughs> it's functional. <laughs> it like makes me actively kind of mad thinking about how long that movie is. Yeah, I guess closing statements. I mean, I guess this was relatively genteel. To the degree that I'm mad, it's more of like a joke. The length of that movie does make me kind of actually mad, though, to be honest. Like, that's the kind of thing I feel like I'm going to be, like, walking around, like, cleaning my place later, like, Triple E is a five-hour movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think you automatically kind of win. I think pretty much everybody on these Defenders movies that's in the positive side wins just because of my actual views of objectivity and art and, like, fundamentally... I guess people should see this movie. I guess my caveat would be you should see this movie if it sounds interesting. If it doesn't sound interesting to you, I would say don't bother. That would be kind of my <laughs> closing statement and sort of where I think I need to evolve to, which is a sort of like acceptance of the fact that not everything is going to be for me and that I don't even really need to bother sometimes. <laughs>
maybe there I, I need to figure out a way that sounds less aggressive <laughs> because that comes off as kind of mean i would hope that would be for everybody i feel like i've been made culturally to watch stuff like this sometimes and i i hate the idea that i'm making somebody watch something for the most part every once in a while it's funny as like a prank to like show somebody something that's like really terrible or weird but largely speaking i remember i had a friend who was staying at my place once and he hadn't seen a lot of the mcu movies and we I had a second friend who hates the mcu which you know like whatever but he like said some offhanded thing about like yeah well i heard you're making him watch that stuff and it made me so like mad and also like self-conscious i was like oh i don't want to you don't want to watch these like I don't want them to watch like if you don't want to watch them I kind of don't want you to watch them because I don't want people to have like a bad time and I think maybe I need to extend that same compassion to myself and allow myself to not be bothered I guess by this probably false impression I have that people are like actually really expecting me to always watch this kind of stuff like eh I can deal with like a couple of side eyes, I guess. Or I can just start being more aggressive towards that when I feel it. But that's going to make me seem like a crazy person. As if every time somebody recommends something and I say, I don't want to see it. Be like, you son of a bitch <laughs> judging me. So I don't know what the solution is. I guess more self-worth is what, it, what it's about. Uh, <laughs> that's always a good solution. It's always a good solution. I'm working on it. Thanks everybody for coming to this public <laughs> therapy session that's my closing statement not as organized as my opening statement i forgot that i had to do one on the positive end of things there's so much in drive my car that i think i could dedicate a podcast hour to i'll follow that with what i feel is a pretty a parallel take on the other end which is sometimes i will play down or disguise the things that i love because they have the affiliation of pretension there are many ways in which that is accurate because of the way people like to as we've talked about throw taste as the defining characteristic of personality despite the person so my takeaway from drive my car is if it reads as some sort of inspirational exercise and healing type of movie it kind of is but it also like refuses to make that an easy spoonful to go down with it's not something that you're going to feel great in moments but i i found a lot of lovely pieces within it that i i was quite taken by and I'm very pro its general thesis, at least what I think, is that art is something that is required for humans versus this sort of thing we do. Uh, it can be both. The things that you love, the Marvel movie you love is something that is essential to you, not only as a, a thing that you've grown with and has helped you form the artist that you are, keeps friends and communities alive, it is an important mental and physical thing that you do for yourself. And I think this movie is pro that. Even if there are things, you know, if you're trying to weigh in, like, how does this checkoff play relate to this character and mental health? That can also exist. And I think that's dope. I was going to suggest a compromise. I think everybody should watch this movie, but they should watch it at double speed. Yeah, do like the podcast thing, like the 1.5. I think that's the perfect solution. I guess that's it then. All right. Craig's going to actually do the outro. So I don't know. It's weird for us to say goodbye and then for him to come on and say stuff and then say goodbye. You know, you know what I mean? We can say our goodbyes to each other and then say, Craig, tell us what's coming up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that's what you just did. Okay, perfect. <laughs> it's been a pleasure yeah. talking with you, Connor. It's been a while. Yeah. 
Yeah, man. Okay. Thank you, Secret Movie Clubbers. There you go. Who won? We don't know. Uh, well, we do now. I don't know why I said that. Connor, Daniel, or was it even about winning? Was it just about a conversation, a dialectic? Thank you, as always, for being a part of Secret Movie Club. You can find out about everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Uh, write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. We will see you September 24th for Lost Highway on 35 with uh, editor Mary Sweeney within a Q&A. And then just after that, we kick off our October with a ton of great horror from all around the world, all kinds of styles, all eras. And we reopen our newly renovated theater. So we look forward to celebrating cinema with you. Please watch as much Jean-Luc Godard as you can. Uh, it will not be a waste of time. You will be inspired. Your cinema will be changed. That's it. Thank you. As always, this episode was edited by our Chief Creative Content Officer, Connor Lloyd-Cruz, uh, and we will see you next episode. Thank you. Thank you.